And in Ephesians 4, it becomes in the book of Ephesians a beginning, a new beginning. Because what he did for three chapters is he explained to you who you are. I mean, in the first three chapters, we learned that we are blessed to even be here. Because God had chosen a people, the Jewish people, to, to give his word and his law to. And they were supposed to let the rest of us know about it. And they failed in that. And uh, they, they didn't do what they were supposed to do. But they had the belief that only a Jewish person could have salvation. Now, even though there are many heroes of the Bible who are not Jewish, that God brought into the Jewish nation. And so Paul, in this book, is explaining to us that God's purpose all along was not just to have a physical people, physically known as the Jews, to be his people, but to have people from every tribe, every tongue, every nation in the world to be his people. And he would call that the church. In Romans chapter 2, the last few verses of that book, you don't have to turn there, I'm not going to... Go there and say much about it other than to say it says they are not Jews who are those physically. In other words, you're not a people of God just because you're born Jewish. You're a people of God when you're born again into Christ. And in the sense of the Jewish people being the people of God, now the church is the people of God. You with me? So it doesn't matter if you're um, African, Asian, Caucasian, uh, American, South American, North American, European, you know, just whatever. None of that matters anymore. What matters is, have you come to Christ? You with me? And if you've come to Christ, you've got equal rights with everybody else that has come to Christ. You have all the blessings of Abraham. You have all the blessings of the Old Testament. As many as may be the promises of God in Christ because he won them for us. The answer is yes. You know, any lost person can get a no from Jesus. It takes a saved person to get a yes. I'll say that again so you catch on. Any lost person can get a no from God. It takes a saved person to get a yes. Thank you. And God always says yes to his children. Now that's a statement you say, I don't think you can prove that. Oh, yeah, yeah, I can. Because here's what he says. If you ask him for something specific and in your ignorance you didn't ask for the right thing, he says no, but yes, my grace will be sufficient for you. I'll give you more of myself. So even when the answer is no to what we're asking, he gives an answer of yes of himself. Because the greatest promise in the Bible is I'll be with you. I will never leave you. That's the strongest promise. And so he says, I will always go with you. So it's always yes. Well, he's explaining all this in the first three chapters of this book. And so that you are beloved. You are joint heirs with Christ. You, we are brothers and sisters of Christ. We are the people of God. And he comes to chapter four in the first verse. He says, therefore. Therefore. Now, here's what's about to happen. He just gave you all the mental... Uh, uh, um, uh, facts, and now he's about to say, now there, here's how you live it, okay? So we're going from the, the, the mental to the practical. We're going from the learning to the application. You know, there are some people that are perpetual students. They're always going to school, and, and even if they go to school, they, they know a lot, but they never do a lot. It's very interesting. You know, sophomore means wise fool. That's why, because your second year of college, you've learned enough to be stupid. That's what it means. 
that you think you know everything, but you really know nothing. And so they called second year college people sophomores, which sophos, wisdom, moron, foolish. <laughs> I, it's actually a Greek word, moros, M-O-R-O-S. It means unintelligent. It does mean that. And I apologize because that word's been used in an ugly way, but that's what it means, sophomore, sophos, moron, wise fool. That's what it literally means. <laughs> But that's not enough. We give them two, much, two years more. Now they're really dumb. Okay? And then they graduate and they come home and tell you who've been doing it for 40 years why you're wrong. All right? That's how that works. And so many times we do that in Christianity. And, 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 uh, and, and as a pastor, I see that. I'm, I don't think that God doesn't speak to, to, to other people. Of course he does. But we, we all need the wisdom of God in our life. We need to know what he wants. And then we got to walk it out. we got to live it. And Paul here is going to start telling us how to live it, how to apply it, how to walk it out. Okay? And we even use that term in, in, in modern language. He actually uses that term in the scripture. Look with me. Stand up with me if you'd like. And we're going to read the first few verses here. I, therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Would you pray with me? Father God, we thank you indeed for Jesus. We thank you for your word. We thank you for what you have to tell us today. And I pray, Lord, that our eyes and ears would be open our eyes and ears of understanding, especially that we would see the behold and understand the beautiful things in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, you can be seated. Today I'm calling this walking the reality. Walking the reality. The reality is that you and I are heirs of God. As you heard Pastor Cream pray, Abba Father, Daddy Father. We get to call God our Father, our Daddy Father, not just Father, but Daddy Okay, that's a different word. Uh, and, and here's what I want you to take home with you today. Actions speak louder than words. You see, we can all uh, uh, attest to the fact, oh yeah, we're saved and hallelujah, we can sing about it, praise the Lord about it, we can worship the Lord. And man, I hear songs about what God's done and I get all excited. But then God calls us to the hard part, which is living it. And so we need to start applying the principles that we've learned in the first three chapters, we've got to start applying them in the last four, uh, the last three chapters. In chapter four, he starts out, and I'm going to look at three things. This should go through verse six, but I knew we wouldn't have time, so I'm going to cut it off intentionally at verse three. And the last point, this today will be the, the, the point next week, the whole sermon, okay? And here's the first thing. We see a summons to walk a worthy walk. It's a call, a summons to walk worthily. I therefore, prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. And the first thing we see in this summons is that we are called as a call to follow and to be an example. It's a call to be and to follow the example. Now, you may not see that there, but it's kind of subtle because Paul doesn't like to beat you up about certain things. If you read all of 2 Corinthians, he is subtly making hints about who he is in his relationship to the Corinthian church because they had mistreated him. And so instead of coming out and going, you mistreated me, even though he does say that kind of plainly in a place or two, he's also all the time saying, but what about this? And what about this? And what about this? What he's doing here? 
He's saying a prisoner for the Lord. Y'all notice that? I, a prisoner for the Lord. Now, they knew who he was. They knew where he was. And they knew he didn't need to say that. So he is reminding them, I'm a prisoner not for your sake, but for the Lord's sake. Okay? So first of all, he's saying, I've been an example to you. Yeah, I'm in prison, but it's, it's for the Lord's sake. Okay? So he is not pointing to them. He's pointing to Jesus. We're in trouble when we point to ourselves or to other people. We're in trouble when we point to anybody but Jesus. Right? I mean, listen, we go through it every political cycle, but it's getting worse and worse each one we've gone through. And this last one was a doozy. You know, I, I remember asking a professor, I was studying revivalism, and I asked him, did he see signs of revival? This will date it so you'll know when I was talking to him. He said, I was, and then we elected George Bush. And what he meant was the church understood we were in trouble and then we elected a president to our liking and we all went, okay, thank God. The other day, President Trump signed some document relieving us of the, the tax people were coming after the church. I don't know if you are aware of this. I mean, we had conferences at conferences about the fact we're going to have to start paying taxes. The church was online to come in, and, and that's what he signed the other day. It relieved us of that, that we have, that religious people in America, the churches and, and synagogues and all that, do not have to worry about that right now, that we are still free from doing that. And I would remind everyone, the church does pay taxes, because all of you do. And, and so we just don't pay property tax on the property we own, but we all pay taxes. It's not like we're exempt just because we're Christians. But here's my point. All the religious people in America, oh, thank God, we got a president that's going to do what we want. It might have been good for us to pay taxes. It might have been good for us to lose this building. I know I'm new. I shouldn't say stuff like that. <laughs> say, who did we call? Let's get rid of that fella. Now, here's what I'm saying. You think we might depend on God if we didn't have a nice place to come? And some of y'all just showing up to show up to show off might quit coming. And people that really mean business for God are going to dig in and grow. Right? I can't go to a two-day conference about the persecuted church, brother, and be any nicer. I'm sorry. I'm just, like I said, the past two weeks, I'm just sick of myself. You know? And so, Paul says, I'm a prisoner, but I'm a prisoner for the Lord. I'm not in jail because of you. I'm in jail because of for the Lord. But here's the second thing he's saying. I did it. You can do it. He's been an example. He's saying, yeah, I'm in prison for the Lord. But listen, you may have to go to prison. But I went first. You can handle it. Trust me. In Fox's Book of Martyrs, there was a particular martyr. I, I don't remember the name. Forgive me for that. And, and they were burning the people at the stake in that day. And, and the, everyone was, was afraid of the fire and the pain of the fire. And there was a particular martyr and he was going and they knew they were going to burn him. And they asked, listen, if you can stand the fire, we need to have a sign. Encourage the rest of us to let us know. And they said, what can we do? And, and they thought about it a while and finally said, if the fire is endurable. If, if, I, if you can withstand the fire, I will lift my hands and clap over the top of my head with my arms. And they said, great idea. That's what we'll do. 
And so they chained him and they would let the arms be free, chained his body to the stake, built up the fire. They lit it and everybody waited and everybody watched. And he never raised his arms. And the skin and all was melting off of his bones. And suddenly he raised two stubs and clapped them over his head. But it's cold in the auditorium. I'm just telling you, don't mess with me today. I'm not in the mood. I'm, fu- I'm fussing at me, y'all. Please understand. Please understand. Paul says, listen, there's a cost to the Christian walk. But he says, but I'm paying that cost. You saw it on the, on the film. I bear in my body the marks of Jesus Christ. We like to ask people, if you were to die and stand before God, and he said to you, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say? And the only answer, the only right answer is because Jesus saved me and he wants to carry me in. But all Paul had to do is say that and then open his shirt and say, see, I suffered all this for your sake. Now that doesn't get you in. But he could look at all of us and say, oh, you're a Christian. Let me show you what kind of Christian I am. Where are your scars? Where have you suffered for Jesus? Willingly, willfully. Those who say Christianity is not true and it's a crock. Why would Paul go through all of that? Why would the, why would the original apostles go through all the suffering they went through if Jesus isn't true? If Jesus isn't real? It doesn't make any sense. And I really get upset with the modern day preachers that take the Bible literally out of context. They're writing this in the midst of prison and suffering and all that and start telling you how you ought to be healthy, wealthy, and happy all the time. No. Christianity is a war. And it is a warfare. And so we are at war. And so there's a call to follow and be an example. You need to be an example of others. The call to worthiness. This word here, is the root means balancing the scale. Being worthy means you're being fair. You, you've got the scales balanced. And he came to apply to anything that could be compared equally to something else. He says, a prisoner of the Lord urges you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling. He's wanting you to be balanced in your life to the call of God in your life. He wants your life to, to match up to the call. Because the way they, you know how they weigh things. We've got electronic scales now. We've got spring-loaded scales. They just had a balanced thing with two buckets in it. And so they had a weight that weighed a pound. They'd put that in. If you were buying a pound of beans, they would fill the other plate up until it was level. So now a pound of beans equals a pound of weight. And that's how they did it. And so that's what this word came to mean. Something that equals it out. Something that looks exactly like this, at least by some measurement. And he says, I'm calling you. You've been called to walk in a manner worthy of the calling. Now let me just... Explain something in case you don't understand it. A lot of us say, well, nobody deserves that. You're right. What we don't deserve is heaven. Everybody in this room deserves hell. And that's the best thing you deserved. That's as good as it's ever going to get. And so you are not worthy of heaven. He forgave you of your sin and made you worthy of heaven. You get it? Okay. So... When you forget that, you start thinking that God owes you something. He's already given you more than he owed you because he didn't owe you anything. All he owed you was let you die and bust hell wide open. 
But instead, He put on a body, came to earth, and died in our place. And He calls you to love Him and to serve Him and to take the gospel around the world. Are you walking in a manner worthy to the call to become one of His? Even though you weren't a Jew, He brought you in. Even though you were not of the children of Abraham, He brought you in. He gave you all the promises of Scripture. As many as the promises are in the Word, they're yours. Now walk with me. Well, when it's convenient, I will. When I don't feel bad, I will. If I, if I don't lose my kids, I, I will. If I don't have to go and give to missions, I, I will. If I don't have to go to missions, I, I'll follow you. No. Follow him. Our daily living ought to correspond to the high calling of Christ. It's not even about going to a mission field or being a preacher or anything. It's just every day, do you, do you give a flip enough to at least talk to him and say, Lord, what do you want from me today? And it's a call to walk. We use that word. It means daily conduct. It just means how we live our life. We say it. Are you walking the walk? We still say that today. It's a, a, call to, a, a walk to which you have been called. It's a high calling. It's a heavenly calling. I don't know if you understand this or not, but you were not made for this earth. You were made for a different place. And until you get things right with God, you're not a complete person. You don't understand that. You don't understand that you're an alien and a stranger. There was a, a, one of my most favorite authors wrote a book. And he was a big time hunter and he just described that. Why are animals so elusive to the hunter? He said, because they're at home in this world and we are not. This is not our home. Gospel singers sang about it, didn't they? This world's not our home, I'm just passing through. Heaven ain't my home, oh Lord, what will I do? The angels beckon me from heavens, golden shore, and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. There's something to which we all are looking forward. And it's a different place. Well, walk worthy of that. Because you're already a citizen of that place. You are already a citizen. An ambassador goes to another country. He represents his country. But he doesn't lose his citizenship just because he lives in a foreign country. He's still an American, right? Right? So when we send an ambassador to any nation, he speaks for America in that nation. God says in Corinthians, you're ambassadors for Christ. You're not at home. You're living in a foreign land, but you're not a member. You're not a citizen of that land. You're a citizen of heaven, representing heaven in this world. And that's what Paul's driving at here in verse 1. Walk in a manner worthy of the cause. Secondly, here are the signs of a worthy walk. And there's four of them in verse 2. Humility. First one is humility. This, I, I didn't know this. It's a very long word in the Greek language in which the New Testament is written. But it's a compound word. And the reason it's a compound word is the Greeks who, the most famous saying about the Greeks are they have a word for it. Any of y'all see my big fat Greek wedding? Yeah, her dad could come up, any word you said, he would say, oh, that comes from the Greek. And he would make something up. You know, just like old men do. And... Uh, it was kind of hilarious, but it wasn't very far off because many of our words do come from Greek roots and Greek understanding of Greek words. Guess what? The Greeks did not have a word for humility. Neither, neither did the Romans. There's no Latin word for humility because it was looked at as something you did not want to have. 
You want to be tough. You want to be a man. Everybody's going to be John Wayne. I'll take nothing off nobody. <laughs> you know, everybody's Rocky. And I won't do voices now. I'm saying, I'm sorry. Y'all be proud of what I'm not saying. I'm just going to tell you that right now. <laughs> this word was coined and probably, the Christians started using this word. And probably Paul's the one that invented the word. He put together two Greek words that means to think at a low level. In other words, to think lowly of yourself. It was, as I said, it was probably used by Paul. And what he's driving at is that hum- is humility is the foundation of Christianity. And you say, well, what does it mean? Here, here's what it means. Don't be so proud. Humility is the basic virtue of the Christian life. And yet it's the one virtue you can never brag about having. I wrote a book on humility. I'm real proud of it. That's a, that's a soft fence, man. You lean on that fence, it falls over. You know, it's like, man, I've been praying for humility. I've achieved it. Oh, I just lost it. Oh, Lord, give me humility. Oh, I've achieved, oh I just lost it. You just, you, it's frustrating. Only Jesus could perfectly express humility. In Philippians, it says he humbled himself. He, he took it away. And only he could express it without losing it. In Matthew 11, and uh, verse 29, here's what Jesus said about himself. I got a new large print Bible, if y'all wondering about this monstrosity I got up here. It's to help my eyes. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. He's the only one that could claim it without losing it. Because he knew nobody's ever going to be more humble than this. I was God and I put on flesh and gave up deity. That's pretty humble, okay? And so Jesus is our example and we have to be humble. But that concept is foreign to the world, but it's necessary for salvation. In Matthew 18, Jesus said, unless you humble yourself and become like little children, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. So many times people say, well, are they old enough to understand? No, the question is, are you young enough to understand? Are you humble enough to say, I am helpless and hopeless. And as Proverbs 30 verse 2 says, I'm more stupid than any man. I don't even have the sense of a man. And God, I don't even know what I need, but I know I need you. So please give me what I need. That's what later Proverbs says. And, and so... It is necessary for our salvation. Humility begins, first of all, with proper self-awareness that I'm not so hot. Uh, that's in 1 John uh, chapter 1, verse 8 and 9. If we say we have no sin, all those things. 2 Corinthians 10. There's a lot of verses I have. We won't go through them. But uh, 2 Corinthians 10 and 2 Corinthians 3 talks about humility. Secondly, is a Christ awareness. We're aware of who Christ is and what he did for us that we could not do for our Cells. Humility is, uh, is also having a God awareness. Isaiah 6, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. And his train filled the temple. And when God spoke, everything shook. Y'all know? And, and all Isaiah could say is, whoa, is me. I'm undone in the presence of God. And so humility... Can't have, that's, I'm telling you, that's what keeps people out of heaven. Because they're not willing to subject themselves to the will of God. 
Did I tell you all about my cousin Johnny? I don't know if I did or not. I, I was talking to the seniors this week. I was sharing it with them. Now I don't remember I told you guys. But my grandmother, Julia Agnes Marie Eaton, very Irish, very Catholic. Her little brother was named Johnny. And Johnny was very Catholic. He died of cancer in the hospital with his wife holding a cigarette while he was dying. So he finished smoking it. That's Johnny. So I witnessed to Johnny as a teenager, told him about the Lord. And my good Catholic cousin, I told you all, all my relatives are drunk Irish Catholics. My good Catholic cousin looked at me and said, if I could believe it were that easy, I'd get down on my knees and accept Jesus right now. But I can't believe it's that easy. You see, it takes a certain humility to say, I'm a sinner and you're a savior. And I need you because I can't help myself. And so humility is one of the characteristics of walking the walk. The second one there is gentleness. Gentleness is a word that means mild-spirited and self-controlled. We think of gentleness as a weakness. It is not. Don't think of humility as a weakness either. Jesus perfectly exampled humility, and he was anything but weak. He was also gentle. Children were not afraid of him, but if you were cheating people out of their money in the temple, you better be afraid of him. He's about to whip you. Right? I just hate all those, you know, Renaissance painters that painted Jesus like this. I mean, Jesus was one tough dude. You don't, you don't build stuff with no power tools without getting some muscle on you, what I'm saying. But he was gentle, and gentleness is power under control. You see, if you don't have power, you're not gentle, you're weak. Gentleness says, I got the power, but I'm not going to exercise it. I'm going to be gentle with you. We sing a song, he could have called 10,000 angels. Jesus said that to the disciples. Don't you know that I could call down a whole legion of angels, angels, wipe all these Romans out? But that's not my will. It's not the Father's will. It's my will and his will that I go to the cross. And so on the cross, he exampled gentleness, his power under control, submitted to the Father's will, even to the point of death, his humility and his gentleness. In other words, are you the kind of person who gets angry at every situation? Just always, ah, ah, ah. Gentleness has taken all that power and bringing it under control and using it wisely. Then patience. Patience is not just putting up with stuff. It, it, I know it kind of comes from that. It means enduring negative circumstances without getting any relief. Patience is digging in and saying, no matter what, I'm going to stand here. Even if I die, I won't give up. It's a tenacity. Who had that? Abraham, who was promised something as a young man, didn't see it until he was 100 years old at all. How about Noah, who for hundreds of years built an ark waiting on for it to rain? How about Moses? You're going to deliver my people. Not like that, Moses, and to spend 40 years in the desert. And then, to further his punishment, had to spend 40 years with them in the desert. And then Paul, who had it licked, he had it all. Pharisee of the Pharisees, Jew of the Jews. He is getting papers, he gets to persecute Christians, and Jesus gets hold of his life. And all that awaited him was beating and suffering and prison and pain and sorrow. And yet we say he's the greatest Christian who ever lived. He wrote 13 books of the New Testament, almost half of what we have, the understanding of who Jesus is and 
what he was doing, Paul wrote it. He didn't write that holed up in some cave somewhere without any difficulty. He wrote that out of the fire of persecution. And brother, let me tell you, it meant something to Paul. And here he says, walk in a manner worthy with humility, with gentleness, and with patience. And then the last thing we see in verse 2 is a forbearing love. Forbearing love takes abuse from others while continuing to love them. This is what we were encouraged about yesterday. As we saw these Christians in Egypt and, and in the Middle East and Arabic, uh, not Arabic, but Muslim countries who are suffering under persecution and yet they endure that persecution while they are trying to spread the gospel to those who would injure them. We read stories about it. We cannot experientially understand that because we haven't been there, haven't done it. We just get mad if somebody calls us preacher at work or deacon. Oh, what are you, some kind of preacher, some kind of deacon? Oh, I can't witness. They might make fun of me. Come on. When my dad retired with this fella. I told you all this too, didn't I? I don't know. I always look at my wife. Did I say this one? She's heard them all. I just tell her a number. She knows. Number 22. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> my dad retired with another old fella. He did 38 years in, in, in the Navy Yard and the Navy combined. And he's retiring. And he and another fellow retired. And the other fellow had said that when he retired, he's going to sit on the river, watch birds, and drink whiskey. So they gave him a birdhouse and a bottle of a fifth of Jack. My dad retired at the exact same time they gave him a Bible. Forbearing love. You're known by how you love people when they don't treat you right. That hurts me because I'm Scots. Y'all don't know what that means? Scottish guy sitting under a tree. Fellow rode up to get off my land. He said, how's this your land? He said, my ancestors fought for it. He said, get off the horse. We'll fight for it again. (laughs) I'm good to go. You ready? Let's roll. (laughs) And love means not doing that. You see, forgiveness is not... Being justified, forgiveness is not getting the revenge that's rightfully yours. It's letting go. Forbearing love is, I'm going to love you even when you hate me. I, I know you've heard uh, uh, Nikki Cruz, uh, uh, um, Run Baby Run, uh, Crossing the Switchblade, David Wilkerson. And in the movie, it was made very popular, Nikki Cruz, and he literally did that, grabbed him, put a switchblade up to him, said, you say Jesus to me one more time and I'll cut you open. He said, I'll cut you into a million pieces. He said, if you do, every piece will say, I love you, Nikki. And Nikki Cruz got saved, became a great evangelist. And we still, men are still being blessed by, by uh, uh, that ministry. Forbearing love takes abuse while it loves people. These are signs that we're walking in a manner worthy. But I want you to notice that the humility leads to gentleness. Gentleness will lead to patience. And patience will lead to forbearing love. And then lastly, and I'm going to make a quick point of this, and next week we'll come look at it further. Here's the source of that worthy walk. And this word here in verse 4 of chapter 4, I mean verse 3 of chapter 4, eager is a Greek word spudazo. Now I was in, I went to this uh, theology class and that was the first word the guy explained to us. He said, this is a Greek word spudazo. And spudazo means work your guts out. I mean bust a gut doing this, that's what it means. And he started saying, Christianity is not a walk on the beach. It is not 
playing by the pool. Christianity is a bust your gut living for Christ. And he says, eager, bust your gut to maintain unity in a spirit of peace. What? You see how important unity is to Christ? Why would unity be important to Christ? Well, may it be because we're his body? Do you want your body split in half? Do you want your body to lose an arm or a leg? Or what part of you can I cut off and you'd be okay with it? And then you dare go into church and bust it in half and bust it up? I don't know about you, but you just walked into God's gun sights. I don't know if you understand that or not. You just set yourself in his crosshairs and go, I don't care what you said. I'm going to tear this apart. It's a horrible, sinful thing. And unity cannot be created by the church. It can only be maintained by it. Look at verse 3 again. Eager to maintain. Unity comes from the Holy Spirit. When we're submitted to the Holy Spirit, he reveals the unity we have in Christ. You and I can disagree and probably will. Did I mention I'm Scots and Irish? And so you and I are going to disagree because I just am a disagreeable person at times. I'll disagree with you. Just watch you turn red and get mad. Well, I'm also a baby brother, so that just kind of comes with the territory, you know. I'm kind of teasing there. Unity, though, if we're in the same body, he says we maintain the unity. And that is the second most important thing to God within the church. First most important thing is truth. Because without truth, you don't have a church. But once you have the truth, then for that body to be united in its purpose and in its mission for God. And he says to have this unity, how? In the bond of peace. Unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. You know, I was thinking about that word peace. And I realized it doesn't take two people to fight. It only takes one. Y'all realize that, right? Now, you may not fight back, but you're still in a war. Right? You're still in a fight. So if one person's mad and upset, you're in a fight, even if you're not. And so he's encouraging us to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. In other words, you need to examine your own life and you need to be a peaceful person. You need to say, look, I don't disagree, but I don't have to be disagreeable just to disagree. I've had some folks in this church come to me and say, I don't like this, but don't quit doing it. It's just not my style, but I'm glad you're doing it. I go, thank you. That's maintaining unity in the bond of peace. Because they see the benefit of what's happening. So they're like, you know what? It's not my style, not my taste, but praise God for it. Because we see people being saved, people coming to Christ, whatever. Y'all follow that, what I'm saying? And so he's telling us that we have to maintain that peace. And it is a chain down from humility. Because if we have patience and forbearing love... Then we'll want to stay close, right? Why would you want to make an enemy of your family and your friend? I've seen people do it, but I don't understand it. Well, what can you do with all this? Well, first of all, maybe you need to find a person that you can follow as a mentor. You might need to find an example like Paul was. He said, here I am in prison. And you say, man, that guy could do it. I could do it. But you might also need to find somebody you can be an example to, right? Somebody that you could say, just do what I do, follow me, let me help you in your Christian life. 
And so you need to do both. All the time, we need to have somebody we can look up to and somebody we're bringing along with us. Amen? Secondly, examine yourself to see if you're living out the characteristics of walking in a worthy manner. Worthy of the calling. Just do an inventory of your life and say, wow, do I have humility or do I have to be made look important? Do I have, do I have gentleness when, when things don't go my way? Do I attack or do I just hold back the, 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 the power to make sure we got all that right before we, before we call out the big guns? And then do I have patience to endure until we get through it? This is a, this is, listen, I'm an impatient person. I just want it done. But God uses time and, and certain things, and we have to learn to, somebody said it this way, we need to learn the gate of the Galilean. He was never in a hurry, but he's never late, right? He was always right place, right time, and so we got to do that. And so I need to examine myself, am I walking in a manner worthy of Christ? And so do I love people who don't love me back? That's the kind of love God gave us, agape love. And then thirdly, how are you building unity? And are you living at peace with others? How are you living at peace with others? How are you building unity in the body of Christ? Are you a person when everybody sees coming, they say, oh Lord, or praise the Lord. If you see people ducking around corners in Walmart. (laughs) Not that I've ever done that. I've seen people do that. No. Are you a person that is bringing peace? Listen, you may be sitting in this auditorium and somebody somewhere else in this auditorium you know you're not at peace with. You got something against them or in your craw or y'all both. Listen, if they're not aware of it, just get over yourself for, you know, get past it and go on. Just release that to God and say, God, you know what? You're the right judge. I don't know what they're going through. I don't know their life situation. God, I pray you bless them. Help me to have a right attitude. But if they know y'all have a problem, then go get it right with them. And I said the first thing, because they don't need that burden. That's your burden. That's on you. If they don't know that y'all are upset with each other, don't give them that burden. Just love them. Okay? You understand? That makes sense? Well, they just need to know I've been upset. No, you need to let them know that you've been upset. Face your problems. Don't Facebook them. That's what I'm saying. But if you got a contention with somebody and you know you do, get it right. Because the body cannot take that schism. My body has something wrong and it's why I wear an insulin pump. My body fights itself. It killed my own cells. And that's created illness in my body that I, main, that I monitor and maintain. But it's not the way it's supposed to be. And the church experiences that kind of spiritual cancer, that kind of spiritual diabetes where we bite and devour and hurt each other. Paul says, don't do that. Maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace because I got love for everybody. I've got forbearing love because I've been patient with them because instead of being angry, I've used gentleness because I ain't so great myself. See, God's forgiven me for more than you're ever going to have to forgive me for. I'm ever going to have to forgive you for He's forgiven me for more. And so if God's forgiven me, I can certainly forgive you.